Having confessed our faith in the triune God, let us now turn to the word of this triune God. And this afternoon, the scripture reading is from Habakkuk chapter 3. For those of you who wonder where that prophecy is, well, it's between, I'll give you a hint, between Nahum and Zephaniah. (laughs) I think that's a good hint, right? So actually, it's in the minor prophets. You don't have pew Bibles, so I can't refer you to a page on my Bible, it says 935, but that doesn't apply to yours. So go a little bit through the middle of the minor prophets and a few more books, and you'll hit Habakkuk, okay? And the scripture reading this afternoon is from chapter 3, and our text is taken from the last four verses of that chapter. So notice here in chapter 3, the Word of God begins as follows. Let us listen to it in humility and thankfulness. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Aperon. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheaths from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and risked. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And then begins our text. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. A rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. 
Thus far, our scripture reading. After the proclamation of the gospel, we're going to sing from that that same scripture passage put to music in hymn 14, the stanzas 1, 8, 9, and 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the month of August is almost over. And one can say, what a month it's been. Especially a particular week in this month came with all kinds of distressing news. No matter where one looked, it was calamity, sadness, disaster. For example, first of all, as we look back, we see COVID. We, we thought it was going away, right? But now we have the Delta variant and the hospitals once again are starting to fill up as the infection rates climb and as well, the doctors and nurses complain about being exhausted and the hospitals are filled, especially with the unvaccinated. And secondly, there are all these fires, fires burning in British Columbia, but also in much of the western part of North America, whether it's California, Oregon, Washington, or British Columbia. Smoke and ash fill the air. Many people have lost their homes and are wondering how in the world they're ever going to be able to rebuild. Others are still evacuated, hoping to go back to hopefully something that'll be left. And still others don't know where they're at. The firefighters are bone tired. And meanwhile, it's interesting to note our Political leaders are campaigning. One might suggest that maybe they should be firefighting instead of campaigning, but that's a political comment. And third, there is Haiti. Another earthquake has devastated that poverty-stricken country. The dead, we are told, are in the thousands. The casualties are in the tens of thousands. Homes, villages... Whole landscapes devastated, and it's really hard to get help because the infrastructure is poor and there is so much lawlessness. And corruption and infighting make the rounds, and of course, the poor people, the poor people suffer. You'll notice, interestingly enough, that Haiti was in the news for a few days, but probably you haven't seen it lately because our attention span is rather brief and Limited, it would appear. And then, of course, there is Afghanistan. Who has not seen the images of those thousands and thousands of people trying to escape to the airport in Kabul, desperate to get away and out of the clutches of the Taliban? You know, there's been a great Western attempt to bring civilization, security, and human rights to this part of the world, and it's all ended in sudden and rather dramatic failure. For many people in Afghanistan, it's back to the dark ages of Islamic fundamentalism and extremism. And we can only shake our heads and say, what? What a tragedy. What a, what a fiasco. So in short, we could say, what a country, what a world, and what a misery. When I was growing up, there was a slogan. The slogan was, especially in tough times and difficult times, let's stop the world. I want to get off. But you know, even if we could do that and get off, where would we, where would we go? 
So these are days like that. Stop the world, Lord. I wouldn't mind getting off. And of course, days like that have been there throughout human history. After all, what we are seeing these days is nothing new. Wars, disasters, tumults, earthquakes. They happened repeatedly. But perhaps not quite as much in one particular week where everything really came at us. So the misery is never far away from us in this life, you might say. And the question might be asked for us this afternoon, is, is that the, the last word of our human existence? Is the last word, the final word, the word misery? Is that the kind of song we're supposed to sing every day? The kind of mood we're supposed to be in every day as well? Well, beloved, for some light and some insight into this whole question, let's turn this afternoon to that ancient prophet Habakkuk, and especially to these last words that he penned under the inspiration of the Spirit. I preached to you on the theme, a rather unexpected rejoicing. And as we go through this passage, there's three things I want you to note. First of all, there's the fear that drains the prophet. And secondly, secondly, there's the joy that sustains the prophet. And finally, there's the strength that maintains him as he goes on. So, beloved, our text opens, and as you can notice, as we open our text, we meet a man who's in trouble. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16 reads, and here I give my own translation, I hear and my belly trembles, my lips quiver at the voice. Rottenness penetrates into my bones, and I tremble in my place. Obviously, from those words, we have a prophet here who is full of dread and full of fear. And you can see it kind of extends to every part of his beings, his hands, his voice, no doubt his knees, everything. He's fear-ridden. And of course, in a way, you know, that might surprise us. After all, after all, he's a prophet. And we think of prophet as men who are really resolute and determined, have lots of backbone, and nothing gets under their skin. No one can weaken their resolve. We put them on a pedestal because they're supposed to be a cut above the rest. But that's not true. They're human just like us. They have feelings just like us. They have emotions just like us. And at least Habakkuk is not afraid to show what he's really feeling. He lets his emotions hang out. And it's very obvious. This man is in trouble. He's in pain. He's in fear. But then you have to ask the question, why? Why is that so? Why is he so upset? Well, you can say it's because of what is coming, or, or better yet, because of who is coming. So who is coming? Well, look back at verse 3, and you can see God came, it says, from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. In other words, God is coming. And we would say, well, that's good news, right? God is coming? Yes, but now he's coming Notice, in judgment. In judgment. And if you ask what kind of a judgment, it's going to be judgment in the form of a foreign foe, an invader. Look at the last words of verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. 
You see, an invader is coming. A foreign army will attack their land, will ravage and destroy their towns, cities, and villages, kill their people, take away their women and their children. And if you ask who that will be, well, look also at chapter 1, verse 6, where Habakkuk says, For for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, and it translates hasty nation, but probably should be nasty. Of course, you may wonder why are the Chaldeans coming at this particular juncture in Israel's history? Well, You can read about that as well in chapter 1, the verses 2 to 4. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. You know, the picture that Habakkuk paints is one of Israel filled with corruption and lawlessness. And by the way, it's not like, unlike what we see in Haiti, for example, today. We're told violence is everywhere. They even murdered and assassinated the president not so long ago. Injustice fills the land, the wicked are in control, and the poor suffer. And as for things like justice and the law, they're nowhere to be seen, nowhere at play. In short, the prophet realizes he's living in terrible times. And God has heard, and God has now seen enough. He's coming to set things straight. But of course, that raises another question, which is, but coming when is God coming in judgment? At what time and during whose reign? Well, as best as we can tell, it's going to be during the final days of the nation of the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And probably it's in the reign of King Jehoiakim, the guy with the K. You can read about him and some of his other successors and predecessors In 2 Kings 23, 24, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And and the picture you get is this is a really dark, dark time in Israel's existence. Maybe the darkest it's ever been. But it's also a time of ridicule and disbelief. Habakkuk prophesies, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that ruthless and impetuous people. But you know, the people of Israel didn't believe him. They figure the greatest enemy that was facing them was Egypt to the southwest and not the Chaldeans to the northeast. And they accuse the prophet of exaggeration, of being politically naive, of doing a lot of fear-mongering. And they insist he has it all wrong. Only it's not so. Habakkuk has divine insight. 
And he knew the real story. He, he knew who was coming. He knew the Chaldeans were even then preparing to attack Israel, but also Egypt. Preparing to become the new world superpower. And he knew what was then going to happen to, to Judah and to Jerusalem as he says, I am bringing upon Jerusalem, says the Lord, such a disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. I will forsake the remnant of my people. You know, it's, it's hard to find more awful words in Scripture than that. I will forsake the remnant of my people. If ever there was a time to pull out your hair and go down in the dumps, it was then. Of course, he might take, the prophet might take some small satisfaction in the fact that history will prove that he is right, but so what? You know, it makes one, in a way, think of Afghanistan today. Because the predictions for the longest time have been the Taliban can't possibly win. And the West, with all of its money and influence and troops and missiles and tanks, will pulverize them. And personal freedoms and women's rights will be secured. And terrorism will be defeated. But look, hasn't happened, has it? And, and the same goes for the people in Habakkuk's day. It didn't happen as they assumed it would. The misery is coming. And it's coming from another quarter. So how does, and that's the question before us, how does the prophet now react to all of this? All of this nasty and numbing news. And by the way, how, how do we react when bad news comes our way? What has COVID, wildfires, Haiti, Afghanistan done to your psyche? Has it driven you uh, maybe to despair? Woe is me, you say one day, I can't handle it anymore, all this negative stuff. I'm coming apart at the emotional seams. I'm spiraling down into anxiety, depression, and despair. Or perhaps you take refuge in escapism. You know, turn off the television, shut down the internet, stop the bad news from getting in. I'm hunkering down in my bunker with a big pile of novels and a big case of whiskey. Or do you? Perhaps you take the, another approach, the, the stiff British upper lip kind of thing. No matter what comes my way, I can weather it, I can handle it, I can deal with the storms. I'll be all right. I can man it out. So where does the prophet head? Where do we head? Into the dumps? For the hills? 
or into the unreal. Now, surprisingly enough, as we turn to our text once again, you'll see that that the prophet goes to, to none of these expected places. Instead, notice he goes elsewhere. He goes somewhere totally unexpected, unpredicted, and surprising. For listen what he says in the verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and yield, fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Aren't those remarkable words? Isn't that a remarkable reaction? He looks around and everywhere he sees lawlessness, corruption, perversion, and he knows judgment is coming. And he describes what judgment will do in terms of agriculture to the olive trees and the flocks and the herds and their livelihood. But then he utters that little word. And I sometimes think it's the best three-letter word in the entire English language. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Literally, he says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Or I will rejoice, or I should say, he says, literally, I will jump for joy in the Lord. And he doesn't say, I will joy in the God of my salvation, but I will Spin around, I will twirl, I will dance, as it were, in the God of my salvation. So notice, the prophet doesn't respond to all of this negative stuff with just a little bit of joy. Now this is exuberant joy. Joy with an emphasis at the end. Joy in the face of death and despair. So the prophet is saying that nothing's going to dampen his happiness, his contentment, his cheer. He's not going to let miserable times get to him. He's not going to resort to a manly resolve. No, he's going to meet it all with optimism and confidence. Barren fig trees, fruitless olive groves, derelict fields, empty barns, will not do him in. He will still be rejoicing. Now think about it. That says a lot. It says a lot about the prophets. It says a lot about believers then. and It's also saying something surely to us as believers today. Are COVID, wildfires, Haiti, Afghanistan driving you into the dumpster of despair? Are life sicknesses and conflicts and misunderstandings and arguments bringing you low and knocking you almost out? Well, the prophet, according to the will of the Lord, says, don't go there. There's a better, there's a brighter way. There's a way that's filled with joy and rejoicing. I will rejoice. And literally, he says, and I like that word better than Lord, I will rejoice, he says, in Yahweh. 
That's what he says. Now, you might say to yourself, well, that all sounds rather good, Pastor. But just how realistic is that? How can he, how can he be this way? And some of you might even wonder, well, well exactly what is a backup smoking or, or sniffing or drinking? So what's going on here? Well, I think you should take a very close look at verse 18 of our text. The answer is there. For notice, what does he really say? He says, I will jump for joy in Yahweh. And he says, I will spin around and dance in the God of my salvation. You see, what he's saying is, is that his, his joy is, is rooted and is, is grounded in, in God and indeed in the God of the covenant in Yahweh. This is not about finding some inner reservoir of strength. This is not about heeding the opinions and the philosophies of other people. This is not about some kind of mental gymnastics. No, this is about anchoring your life and your future in your covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. This is not about Chaldeans. It's about Yahweh. Or if you will, it's not about fixating on COVID, wildfires, Haiti, or Afghanistan, but on the God of the covenant, the I am who I am, Yahweh. Now, if you ask why fixate on him, well, you can see that as well in our text. Look at who and, for example, what he did to Egypt. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, verses 4 and 5. Look at what he did to Cushan and Midian. You rode on your horses on your chariots of salvation, verse 8. Look at what he did in the promised land. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. Look at what he did to the nations. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. Look at what he did and does for his people. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Do you see how the prophet is concentrating on the Lord. He's saying the medicine, the antidote for troubled times is not to fixate on oneself or on one's personal circumstances or on the sad state of the universe, but on the God of the covenant. Think of him and his power. Think of him and his great deeds. Think of him and, and his salvation. And especially think of what he has done for us, is doing, and will do for us in his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, beloved, look up. Look up to the throne. Look up to heaven. Look at him who sits upon it. Are you doing that in these Troubled times? Do you make it a point to look up every day? Do you start your day that way? Do you respond to bad news in that way? 
Because that's the secret of rejoicing. Looking constantly and always to Yahweh. And you'll notice it's also, and the prophet adds that, it's the secret for going on. Look at the last words of our text. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. Verse 19. Once again, first notice, you have there a matter of confession. Habakkuk confesses, if not shouts, God, Yahweh, is, is my strength. It's a bit like the Apostle Paul later on when he writes to his letter to the Philippians. And he says, rejoice in the Lord Always, again, I'll say it, rejoice. Our life, our hope, our confidence is only in the Lord. Because of who he is and what he does, you and I can always rejoice. But you know, there's also something else. Not just a matter of confession, but also a matter of empowerment, if you will. For the prophet says, when we look to the Lord and find our life and our joy in him, he does things for us, to us, as well as in us. Habakkuk says, he makes my feet like the deer's, which means he enables me to fly over obstacles. And he also says, he makes me tread on the high places, which means he enables me to triumph over my foes and fears. The truth of the matter is that when we look up to God, he pours down gifts on us. And if you ask what kind of gifts, gifts like help and hope, confidence, joy, courage, boldness, you know, those are the sorts of things Habakkuk needed. Those are the things the people needed. Those are also the things that we need. That we and COVID sufferers and wildfire victims and Haitian earthquake casualties and Afghani citizens need as well. It's God and God alone who can help us through. You know, there's a, a song. It's not, unfortunately, on the current hit parade in our federation, but it's a song that's written by Steve Green. It's called God and God Alone. After the service, maybe you can turn on the Internet. I make an exception. And go to YouTube and, and plunk in God and God Alone. Especially look at the, the version called under Nadalant Sinked. I know I'm prejudiced, but that's probably the best one. Steve Green's a great singer, and, and there's a few other guys who don't make a bad job of it either, but I think this one is really superb. And, and you get the point. It's God and God alone. It's, it's like Paul says to the Romans. We are more than conquerors. People realize that. And why are we more than conquerors through him who loves us? Christ Jesus has conquered sin, the death, and the grave. He will see us through. Also through all the troubles and pains and sicknesses and 
sadnesses of this world. He will see us through and bring us to glory. And so together with Habakkuk, let's confess. Though fine nor fig tree neither, their wanted fruit should bear. Though all the fields should wither, nor flocks nor fields be there. Yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. And we thank you, Father, that your word, which is utterly realistic and sometimes brutally so, is also a word of great comfort and strength for your people. Also, Father, these ancient words of the prophet Habakkuk, we thank you that you gave them to him and that he gave them to us, so that even today, in the midst of troubled times, we may continue to have a bridge over troubled waters. We may continue to confess our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our strength. Thank you for being our God and the God of the covenant. Hear us and bless us. In the name of your Son. Amen.